everyone. I'm Amy Van Heeren. Welcome to The Pump Spot. We are here sharing nourishing conversations about the beautiful, challenging, and wonderful ways that we feed our families. Today, I have a really moving conversation with Christine Mienberg. She is a comedian. She is a mother. She was an early advocate for standing up for mothers in the world of comedy. And we sat down to have a very open and honest conversation about the challenges of postpartum and breastfeeding and what it's like to be navigating a very male-dominated world as a new mother. Christine brought her whole self to this conversation. She shared so many wonderful stories. She recalled what it was like to make a decision to breastfeed her daughter on stage. And she gives a lot of warmth and wisdom to other women out there. I hope that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Here we go. Christine, welcome to the Pumpstown. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I feel like there is so much fun stuff for us to talk about in terms of your yeah. journey and your experience, and I cannot wait to dig in. But I feel as though it would be great just to kind of start at the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about how you became a comedian and what that journey has looked like before we start to talk about parenthood and the fusion of the two? Oh, wow. Oh, so you're going right in. Okay. Uh, I And that's a... Boy, that is a uh, a story that I share when people are like, "So did you always know you were funny?" And I, <laughs> no, I had a I had a very funny father. My mother has a great personality. Uh, my brother was very funny, and then I was more combative, I think, than anything, and argumentative. And I think I probably should have become a lawyer. And my brother should have become the comic, but uh, it's vice versa. So we, yeah, my brother is still hugely funny, but I became the one that I was like, oh yeah, everything is kind of boring to me. I kind of did a lot in my life. I um, traveled the world. I lived abroad. I was an expatriate for a little bit. Um, I came back, I worked in politics and that failed miserably because I couldn't have a voice that I would like to have because, uh, you know, politics, you have to adhere. And so I got out of that and I went into, I think I ran a gay club and I sold uh, ad space for a Spanish language newspaper that failed. And then I, because newspapers were dying at that time. And then I ended up selling wine for like a high-end kind of boutique wine, not winery, but like a boutique distributor. And that went terribly too. So I failed at most things, not failed because I didn't do well, but I found that I, I was a good salesperson when it came to me, but then I wasn't a good salesperson when like, it was like, man, let's, I just like to talk. So uh, at the end of the day, I was, I was selling wine and I went to my grandmother's, which I hadn't seen for a very long time because I was bouncing around and traveling so much. And so I stopped by her house and uh, she didn't answer. And so I had to climb in a window and I climbed into the attic and I found her. I thought she had not, I thought she had passed, but she hadn't. She finally came to and she recognized me after a few moments. But then after that, there were lots of accidents in supermarkets there were accidents in 1972 shag carpeting that i had to clean up with my variants then i had to bathe her and so with that 
that bathing moment. Uh, I won't give you the, the scary details, but I had to do spring cleaning and who doesn't hate spring cleaning? And I, I think something snapped in my brain. I ended up having to give up my job selling wine and I took care of her for a little while. And I'd never taken care of another person in my life, but I also had had this kind of mental snap after having to care for her. So, uh, Thoroughly, I guess you could say thoroughly. Yeah, thoroughly. And I ended up going back to Philly where I was living and I lived around the corner from a place called the Ravens Lounge where I had been bartending on one or two nights a week. And this room that they had on the second floor had become and I had helped create it was this comedy night, which ended up becoming one of the most notorious places in Philly to do stand up and it still is to this day. Uh, so I had become friends with a lot of guys and I, because I had all this free wine, they were very close to me. They liked me so much. <laughs> they kept coming over and uh, I just had you know, bottles and bottles of leftover stuff. So they would come over. And at one point when I went back after this terrible ordeal with my grandmother, I told this story about bathing her to my friend Monroe Martin. And he said, Stop being a, for lack, I'm not going to tell you the word pansy, get on stage. So I did. And then when I was on stage, I told the story, but none of it was funny. There was no inflection. I was just talking through it. There was a girl in the front row who was sobbing, crying, not from laughter, just so emotional. And I got off stage and another good friend of mine, Chris Cotton said, you got a lot of work to do. And I was like, Yes, I do. So I've been, and he has since passed. So we, I've, I've just been fighting my whole life to kind of, you know, work harder and, and do better and become funnier and try to make the real things, the difficult things, the wretched things, the treacherous things as funny as I can, because I think everybody really does go through terrible things. So I think the laughter is, is what relieves it. Right. So that's the long story. Uh, but you could have, I could have just said, yeah, I had to bathe my grandma and I hopped on stage. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love the picture. And I also think it's so, well, one, I think you're so right that in some ways laughter connects us. The things that are so tragic or challenging, if we can find the humor in them, there is something about that connection that's really meaningful. And so much of what some of the funniest, you know, comedians and people I know are people who really do speak to like the realities of what it is. And so, you know, for you to get there, well, I would say that kind of all the failures maybe weren't failures, but successes, because I would imagine they've given you fodder over the years. We sort of were experiencing all these things, but then you came to comedy through caregiving. Right. Because it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Isolating for a, a, a large part of it is, yeah, you're alone when you're on stage, but you're not. I mean, there's a connection to the audience if you can get there, but for a very long time, it's not a very long time. It's this, I mean, I think I spent a good, the better part of six or seven years of just being like, what, what am I doing? Why am I, why do I keep beating this dead horse? And what do I really believe in myself? I, I, I do care about, you know, the audience and them having fun, but it is a very, it's, it's an ironic thing to have done it the way that I did it. And, um, and I don't, you know, I don't always think it was good. It was really bad for so long. And now, uh, 
now it's not now it's good and i'm i get lots of work even in quarantine which is odd because it's, it seems like my life is ironic you know quarantine hits and i become way more successful than i ever was prior to pandemic and and shut down and all that now i'm like oh well every night that i don't actually do a, a different job that i do on weekdays that i'm on stage and some days it's both of them. So I didn't always have that prior to quarantine. So I think it's also because I yell so loudly. And if it is outside, <laughs> my voice carries. I just have so much rage. <laughs> let it out. I feel like a lot of parents do. So I think they get it. Yeah. And let's talk about that because speaking of the realities and the challenges and things that really drive you to get to, to need to get on a stage and express it and get it out. Talk to us a bit about your journey as a mother and, you know, what it was like in the beginning and what it, what it's meant to kind of influence this path for you. Oh, uh, I, I fell in love with another comic and he was way more successful than I was when we met still is, I mean, still, you know, he's, he's very well known in the United States and Canada, uh, you know, North America. So I, and, and it was difficult for me to even make a decision to really take our relationship seriously because it's a uh, comedy is it's insular and, and it's kind of like high school where there's a lot of judgment and people are going to have their opinions and we're very visible people. So when we fell in love, we tried to keep it uh, pretty quiet. And then once we did kind of come out about it, it just, it went so quickly. And I, I got married very quickly, like a, a year and a half, but we're also old. So it was like, I've lived enough of a life and he did the most wretched things in the world prior to meeting me. So it was like, oh, well, we, we just, we know this is the one. And, uh, <laughs> and then we got pregnant on the honeymoon and he'll say no. I say yes. Cause that's what we do. We fight and we disagree on about 99.75% of things. And uh, but I think that feeds it, too, I think, because we always present the other with a, a different perspective and our and our relationship is very visible and our struggles are very visible uh, and we're vocal about them. So when I became pregnant, I was one of very few women at that time that wouldn't even consider it. I think prior to me, it was like Bonnie McFarlane and. Ali Wong and those were the, and what uh, Joan Rivers <laughs> and then the other ones that you know, they're not oh uh, Laurie Kilmartin who is the head writer for Conan I and I know these women and they're so you know much farther ahead than I am so for me being this this girl that I hadn't necessarily made it yet I had kind of made a name for myself but I I wasn't passing all the clubs I in many of them I am but I wouldn't call myself an a comic so for me to just say okay well let's throw caution to the wind and you know we're gonna be parents now I also wanted to be very open and honest about every single uh, experience that I had going through it especially because when I first found out, I I was so sick, and I would you know in the in the beginning months, and I had a very difficult time. I had also been fired for being pregnant, 
So, and then I was suing. <laughs> like, it's just, it's like you can't make stuff up. So, wow. uh, and I, and I was having a hard time. And I, I, I know there are people that say, oh, you shouldn't talk about being pregnant. You should wait it out until you get through the first trimester. And that's not who I am. I can't keep a secret to save my life. So uh, God help me when my husband turns 50 and I have to plan, quote unquote, uh, a surprise party. It's never going to happen. So to circle back to what I was saying is I just I started talking about it. And and the more I did. I felt like, oh, that was different than what a lot of other women were talking about. And even to to put me next to Ali Wong, which I, I wouldn't, just for the fact that we, were, we both were pregnant at times of doing big, uh, big things for ourselves. She did a special. I recorded an album, Nine Months Pregnant, uh, is she is very she's very polished and she's LA and she looks good. And that looks great for some pregnant women. But I was a, I was a ratchet mess. I was sweaty all the time. You shouldn't have smelled me ever. Like I just was not okay. And I was angry and uh, pregnancy did. I don't think it looked good. on me, but I, I wanted to be honest about it. And so I, I did. And then at the at about seven months, I was like, okay, I know my life is going to change when I have a child. And all the things that I'm talking about are not going to be what I want to talk about at, at the point when I have the kid. So let's do an album. And I did. And I and nine months pregnant, here I am wheezing on stage and sweating. There's a droplet of sweat that I'll never forget. How can you remember a droplet? I do it. I tracked it all the way down. I was hungry. <laughs> I, I stole someone's French fry during my album taping. It's on the album. Um, and I also had planned, maybe I'll get like, maybe I'll be like Gallagher and get tarps for the front row. So in the event that I do go into labor, they're at least protected. I am not that well coordinated, so I didn't bring it. So uh, those poor people in the front. And I didn't go into labor, unfortunately. I think the club really wanted me to. They were like, that would be amazing for the club. And then she came. And then postpartum came. And I talked about that as well. So for me, I think doing it really, in essence, was to give birth to something before I gave birth. And to get it out of me, because that was 10 years of a lot of things that I had developed and probably a voice that I had developed that I wanted to at least kind of take a snapshot of and then show women that, no, it's not fun and it's not always easy. And, you know, it, it can be really hard, at least if we yeah, if we look at it that way, we're not as judged when we're like, ah, yeah, this third trimester, you know, the third trimester can suck it or whatever. Like I, that's what I really wanted to do. And I did, uh, it did well enough. It was, it's not the most epic album, but it's honest and it is really, um, it's gritty. And I think that's the only, that sets me apart from others. And brave because you're in an industry where you're already kind of blazing a trail, but as you've said, many women, don't always choose to because of how complex it is. And just, I would imagine both the stress of trying to get where you want to go in your career, 
being surrounded by in a mostly male industry. And then, you know, the topic, the subject matter on top of that in such a way. And so for you to be nine months pregnant, to be coming to kind of this peak moment in your career, while also personally about to, you know, embark on this journey, I think that that's incredibly brave of you. Oh, thanks. I thought I was just delusional, but brave sounds better than delusional. <laughs> I also was also, I mean, I, and let me say this as well. I was more friends with men coming up than I was with any woman. And I have counterparts from Philly where I started and they are, they're wildly talented females. And I don't see very much of them, unfortunately. So I moved up to New York with a lot of men and they have they, a lot of them are on TV. A lot of them are, are getting huge things. And, uh, and I did, I question like at a certain point I was like, Oh gosh, is this going to ruin me? Is, and I, that's terrible to say about your own child, but is this me going through this experience? Is this going to set me back? And I remember even the, the one that told me to get on stage, she said, you have that baby. Like, not that I ever thought I wouldn't, but he, he goes, you have that baby because it's going to bring so much more to the conversation. And at that point, even with, with the women that I was around, there's a lot of dating stuff. It's a lot of, you know, there was the, um, the, the podcast about the two girls dating and then the guys we blanked and all that. And I love those girls dearly. But that doesn't speak to all women, especially probably our generation. I don't know how old you are, but I felt like, okay, that's there's a lot of that going on. I'm not that. So it did kind of set me apart. And in that is some loneliness, I think. But then after that, there have been one, two, three, four women that are, you know, I see one bringing her baby. I brought my kid with me and then another one had a baby. And then she started. And I was like, oh, look, oh, look at that. And I know women did it before me, but they didn't get to see it as much. Like Laurie Kilmartin, and I mentioned her before, brought her kid everywhere. Comics, you know, had to watch her kid while going on stage. But that was during a time where social media wasn't as big. So it wasn't as, you know, visible. Now, when, I, when it happened to me, it was. So I feel like it, at least, at, you know, for me and then for other women, it compelled other women to be okay with it. And I don't think I'm a quote trailblazer, but I think I am happy that that is not a trend, but that it's a possibility for women. Hey friends, we want to take a quick break and remind you of all the places you can connect with us and this lovely pump spotting community. If you're a nursing, pumping, or new mom, or a seasoned mom who just wants to give back, hop on our app. If you're also working or you're part of a company that wants to support breastfeeding employees, then pump spotting at work is for you. Find out more at pumpspotting.com. not just comedians, but I think for women to see women in any position of exposure or leadership or, you know, putting yourself out there that way and saying, you know, being really honest about how hard motherhood is and what you're struggling with. I mean, the fact that you had to even think about is becoming a mother going to impact 
my career and my future trajectory. That's shared. That thought and that sentiment, unfortunately, happens for so many of us. Like that moment comes, I think, for everyone. And so I think you not only open doors in your field, but I think what you're doing really speaks to people. And so talk to us a bit. Now, part of the reason that we came to find you is because I read your really amazing article in Romper about you breastfeeding on stage. And I remember you saying that you really believed that your life had been saved by that moment. So can you talk a little bit about postpartum for you first? And then I'd love for you to kind of break down the story of that night and what it was, what it was like for you to make that decision and actually breastfeed on the stage. Okay. So I'm probably going to start sweating talking about this. (laughs) It's uh, every time I have to, I, uh, I, I relive it. Yeah. Cause it's physical. You go through those things. I mean, birth feeding, it's physical. And then those experiences I feel that are so closely where the emotions accelerate around those experiences of feeding. And I mean, mine wasn't the extreme, but I mean, I still remember when I had to pump in an airport bathroom standing up, you know, at the side with the line of women out the door. I mean, I can feel the heat in my face and in my body physically from that time period. So I totally get where you're going. So it is muscle memory, isn't it? Or it's, yeah. it's somatic. And then it's like, Oh God, am I going to start leaking? Uh, <laughs> all right. It's still recording. I, uh, hmm, how to explain my, my postpartum. I delivered C-section. My daughter was stubborn, even in utero and very strong. And she refused to turn and I did everything to try to turn her. We even gave her the light. And she, do you know what the light means in comedy? When a comic's on stage, somebody from the back of the stage, or if you're in a better club, they will give you a light or there's a red light or a blue light, whatever light, they give you the light, it's time for you to come out. So ready to hop off stage. So that's what my husband did. He was like, let's do this. Um, which is terrible. I did everything. I stood on my head. I did, I, you know, hot, cold. She wouldn't turn. So I had an emergency C-section. I used to talk about how I didn't even know I was in labor. Uh, and I just thought I was peeing my pants. And it was August. So I, it could have been sweat. It could have been anything. God, God knows. And uh, yeah, I got to the hospital. And they were like, you're going to have a baby. Took her out. And I had put on, so I was 230 pounds when I gave birth and I'm five one. So the joke is I was literally the blueberry from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. So they had to roll me down the hallway to juice me to give birth. So I was in a bad place. I, I don't remember the first day of her life. I, I kind of remember a nurse bringing her over to me. It was very highly drugged uh, or heavily drugged rather. And uh, from that, I, uh, I just had a hard time. It was a lot of pain, had a lot of weight on me and, uh, and that will really exacerbate whatever pain is with a, a C-section. And because she was a breech baby, it was hip bone, hip bone. And it was really hard to get her out. She was stuck in a squat. She came out in a straddle jump. So, which I'm proud of as a gymnastics coach, but as a, as a mom, it was awful. (laughs) I, and I think the pain of that, and they also sent me home without drugs, which was terrible because everybody was on vacation for Labor Day. Uh, And as, as that that happens in hospitals, I suppose, I didn't know that. So when I got home, uh, we were living in a one bedroom. My husband still had to go to shows at night because that's what we do. And I was alone a lot. And 
I think the pain of the C-section, the, the drugs that I was trying not to take, but I had to, the fact that I couldn't move, that I couldn't pick up my baby uh, as much as I wanted to, the fact that I couldn't lay in my own bed, the fact that I had from being out six nights a week, doing stand-up, releasing all of that energy, releasing the rage, you know, getting those endorphins all the time, uh, from working all the time, from doing all of that to halting it and going to nothing really had it took its toll on my psyche and i i got angrier and angrier and i loved my daughter i there was none i know when they say postpartum they say that you don't have a connection with your child that was not my experience my experience was i loved her so severely i was so terrified that and I was in so much pain, you know, like I didn't know what boob I was feeding on. I didn't know when the last time I fed, I was trying to write things down, but I was, you know, really not in my own mind and, uh, and struggling and alone, didn't have my husband as often as I would have liked. Uh, and then there was other things with him that started to bother me. Like, oh, you get to sleep and you get to go out and I'm stuck here and you can continue your life the way that you have. But I, everything for me has changed. So I think that there's a resentment that I think can be inherent in, in women when that starts to happen. And that it's not their fault, but you start to go, well, wait, no, it, it you have to. And he also had never been around children before. So he didn't know who what he needed to do to offset. And I think if we were insane enough to have a second one, <laughs> it would be better. But my, my quote postpartum, uh, it got to the point where, you know, of course, sleeplessness. And um, I started to have these ideas about what women had done when they had postpartum. And I, I became a little not obsessed, but I became terrified of it. And I thought, am I, I would, even in my head, I'd go, oh, that's so awful what a woman could do, but am I capable of that? And I think that if, if I were a different kind of woman, if I didn't do the what ifs all the time, if I didn't have to think outside of myself all the time, maybe that wouldn't have occurred to me, but it did. And it became terrifying. And I, uh, I, I thought about what, you know, and, and I couldn't even watch the news. I couldn't turn it on because I was so afraid that possibly something could be put into my head. The only thing I could watch was the Great British Baking Show because it was just so lovely. And the voices and I mean, they talk about sponge all the time and it was just kind of safe. And I... And so I watched so much of that and I breastfed my baby. And of course I had struggles with it. Like every mom does. And I became afraid of the knife drawer. I, I couldn't even go into the knife drawer. And that's when it started to occur to me that things had spiraled and I needed to get help. Um, and I had just one incident at home at night after I had fed my daughter and I'd rocked her and my husband was sleeping and I was in the kitchen and I, the knife drawer again, I closed it fast and I started to pray. And I used to pray and sing Catholic hymns to my daughter to put her to sleep. And one was, um, here I am Lord. I don't know if anybody's Catholic listening to this, but I used to sing that and I couldn't, and, and I would just weep 
because hormones and sad and you know and i'm thinking just like save me god please save me from me being so scared and i had sang that to her and when i was in the kitchen i just i told god i said i'll just you know i don't ever want them to be in harm's way so i'll go first and i'm i'm talking to god going i'm i'll go first it's okay i'll just i'll just come out of the equation and that night a crazy lunatic of a friend who was just like a uh like a, a she was a one of my husband's comedy partners on and off again girl and she had messaged me at like three o'clock in the morning she said how's motherhood and she really wanted a baby and i said uh, they don't tell you how how horrible it can be really it can be and i don't know why nobody talks about it but i'm in this wretched place and she was like well maybe have you talked to your husband about it it never occurred to me i was just gonna take it myself and the next morning i told him and then i went and got help and then we subsequently went on a tv show called couples therapy on showtime and then my story became like it's not all the way out there yet but it was for me altruistic so that other women could see again could see what i had been through and the struggles and uh yeah yeah that was probably the darkest the darkest day was when i was in my kitchen going i can't i can't put them in this situation can't do it uh I mean, my heart just goes out to you and that I can feel, I can, I can imagine the weight of just navigating all of that by yourself and feeling as though you couldn't speak to anyone, that you're having these thoughts and these feelings and you're in this place. I mean, that is why postpartum depression is so scary and so hard that we just, we don't, we don't talk about it enough or we don't check in. And in a way, how amazing that your friend uh, that was almost the, the answer to the singing in your prayer about where, what you were looking for, that someone checked in on you in that moment to give you the courage to start to seek help. And then for you to turn that into sharing your story in such a way to invite others. I mean, there's something pretty amazing about her checking in at that time with you. Well, who knew that God would send <laughs> this, this kind of looney tune girl that I still love. You can't make eye contact with her, but you can't because she'll look straight through you. But she she was there. I don't think God ever said it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't come in the form of a burning bush, but I'm sure her bush burns. And so what I'm saying is I do. I thank God for it. And I think after that, uh, and again, time in the beginning for for anyone having a child is it it just slips by because you you're not quite conscious you're sleepless and so if if my time tables off maybe at some point i got on stage i think i was two weeks postpartum i don't think maybe it was two months i don't even remember but the stage that i was allowed to get on they had to hoist me up because i couldn't step when i couldn't walk and all so I, they had to, somebody had to lift me up onto stage and I don't remember what I said. It was, and the club's not there anymore. I don't think I shut it down, but I, it's not there anymore. And 
I talked about, I talked about the real stuff and I was in a ton of pain and women came up afterwards and they were, thank you. But for, it wasn't even, that doesn't even matter to me. What matters is that I got all that out as best I could. So I do use comedy. It's a, it's catharsis for me. Right. And, uh, and I think because I'm as honest as I am about things, uh, at some point, because I did get on stage that one night, uh, I just thought I'm going to bring her. I got to get out of this. I I was going to therapy. I was, uh, I was talking to my husband <laughs> as much as I could. Lots of fights in cars when babies are screaming. Uh, how many times somebody hopped out of the car on, at a stoplight in Manhattan? I can't count, but uh, like, how the heck will you can't? And ah, why is everybody screaming? Why does she scream now? Probably for that. Uh, and I, I started bringing her cause I didn't, I didn't know it was possible, but I, and people probably thought, and I know my mother did, what are you doing? How, you got to take that baby home and and put her to bed and i said she wants to be with me and and i'm happy when i'm on stage i'm happy when i'm honest i'm happy and comfortable and less crazy when i can try to make whatever i'm going through make people laugh so it will take away the power of that terrible thing and my mother just was like i totally disagree with you and that was hard for me, but I kept going and I kept getting better. And each day seemed to get better. There were hard moments, but uh, I, I brought her to every single club I was allowed. And if I wasn't allowed, I'd go anyway. And I'd sit in the green room and I'd be like, so when, when am I going to get booked? You know, and, I, and they're like, was this crazy woman sitting here? And I'd be like, uh, sorry, guys, I'm going to. And I never pulled my boob out in front of men, but I always had these because I was still huge. I had these big sweater, like dress poncho things that I always wore and I would just put her under it and I would breastfeed in a green room. And, uh, unfortunately one night I had a spot and, uh, she became hungry at the time that I had to go on stage. And at that point she was Oh, maybe four months old. And I then was like, oh, she will eat for half an hour. So, and I'm second to last. There's no way we can push it back. So what do I do? Do I give up the spot? Do I, do I jeopardize never getting booked again on this stage? Do I jeopardize people thinking I can't handle both? Or do I just go? And I just went and I had these girl and not, it wasn't that easy. I had younger women than me going, this is feminism. You can do this. This is such a big. And I was like, no, I don't think this is right. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can even speak while a child is attached to my nipple. How am I going to do that? How can I even, and that they're They're going to be so distracted. They don't even know what's going to happen. And I'm like, and they could just, I, they could probably think that it's a pretend baby and I'm doing a bit. So this is a lot for me. There was already enough pressure. So just go. Okay. Well, my heart's racing. They bring me up and I step up onto stage and I think there's a video. I know there is. It's out there. Somebody recorded it and they were, they were really taken aback. And then I was mama bear aggressive, of course. And there was a guy who was Russian in the front row and he was giving me a stink eye. 
And I go, uh, why are you looking at me like that? Do you have a problem with me? Where are you from? And like, why am I so combative? And he goes, I'm, I'm Russian. And I was like, yeah, of course you are. And the whole place blew up. And then everyone's laughing. And then I'm doing crowd work and I go into bits. And I'm like, how I'm even capable of doing this thing, it blows my mind. I got off stage. I cried for four days because I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to have to do it, but I did. And I felt very oh, insecure about my role as a mother. I felt insecure about my role as a comic, about my future as, as an artist. And I thought, oh, I'll never, I'll never work again. And now, this is three years later, so many comics and so many people come up to me or will introduce me as this woman that, do you know what she did? She breastfed. She did a set on stage. She used to bring her kid ever. And they, they talk about like, that it's an amazing thing. And I guess it is. But for me, it was such an internal struggle. And even now thinking about it makes me want to just like lie down in my bed and cry and go like, really, what did you do? My kid is an unbelievable person because she has had to in, like endure or live through a life like that. Like she'll talk to anybody most of the time and, and she, and people know, and I'm, and I'm proud of that, but the process was not easy. The story is great. The process sucked. Breastfeeding in public in any place, I think, brings with it so much that decision to, because in a way, feeding is such an intimate act. And everybody runs the gamut between no problem or not capable of doing it in different emotions and such. But then to be in a situation where you're feeling that pressure of my child needs to eat, my mm -hmm. soul needs the work. The, you know, the outcome, the, the my career, I can, I, can feel, I can imagine that split second of emo, like running of emotions through you in terms of getting up there and then having to be public and, you know, mama bear, because of course you're protected, not only of this little being that, you know, you're, you're physically holding, but probably of your identity of your, you know, your work of everything. It feels like you're putting yourself out there in this way. And I mean, it, it's amazing to hear you talk about it because of course, from the outside, it is easy to say, gosh, that was fantastic. And good for you. And what a cool story. But there, but to hear you talk about the emotion that went into that and the impact afterwards that it had on you, it's so human. It's so, it's so real and raw in terms of what it's like to make those decisions as a mother and a professional and a public person, public speaker. I think that if I didn't have to speak, <laughs> it might have been a different thing. You know, there's a woman walking down the runway and she's got a baby attached to her boot. That had to be insane too. Cause there's this, you know, I, this idea of perfection with models and she did it. Anyway. I don't I remember who it was, but she, she did it too. I'm sure. But if she had to open her mouth and now I have to elicit a response, how, how I, I, I don't think it really hit me until because as comics, what I do and what we do is get off stage. We talk about a set. We talk about what's happening with our life. Well, well, the set ends. And of course, I could have been a, quote, good mom and I could have gone right home, but I didn't. I went to another 
club, I picked up my husband. And when I walked in there, like I mentioned it before, Laurie Kilmartin was there and I was reeling. And I said, I just breastfed my kid on stage, Laurie. I don't even know. Why did I do that? She said, uh, well, did you do your job? And I said, yeah. And she said, did you make him laugh? I said, yeah. And she goes, then nothing else matters, does it? So I did have a conversation with her, but then nearly immediately afterwards, there was a young woman who has been in our life for a long time. And I told her the same thing. And she said the complete opposite. She goes, oh, Christine, you don't want to be that comic. You don't want to be the com like, I mean, maybe I'm just a purist, but I can't even do improv on our stage. I, I mean, you can't do something like that. And I was, I think that really hit me hard because here's a young woman who comes from this generation of women that, and she's never had the situation that I just did, but you know, we're supposed to celebrate each other. We're supposed to uh, be, I guess, progressive. And what I had done that night, I suppose was progressive, but it was just, I didn't think of it that way. I just thought, Oh, I had to do this thing. And, and I, I think that judgment really hurt me because, and, and yeah, I'm a comic. I'm, I'm sensitive. I may not come off like I am, but I was like, Oh, well, wait a minute. This is that generation. This young woman should be like, Oh, well, that's, that's crazy. But wow. The fact that you did it, not that I need to be celebrated, but just the, maybe the, the openness to, uh, I guess, welcome something that isn't just me standing on stage by myself, which I would prefer to be honest. It's easier for me <laughs> to not have my kid. But if I have to do it, I have to do it. So that really, and so those two differing perspectives and opinions on something that I had done, and I know that those are polar opposites and coming from women. So that, and it took me a long time to, to get over it and to process it on my own, uh, but I'll still, I'll still hold to it. I will never necessarily regret things that I've done. Uh, I have to bring my kid tonight with me to a park show but she's happy because she's with me and she can run around and chase butterflies or look at a leaf and she, right. And she's seeing all these different kinds of people when we've been, we've been isolated for so long. So, and, and of course there are moments where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have her hear these things because this past week she says, uh, I open always with what's up bitches. My daughter who is three years old grabbed a microphone the other day and goes, what's up bitch. And I was like, Ooh, she didn't say bitch. She didn't. I'm like, you know what? You should say mommy's bit correctly. Thank you. Um, don't ruin my joke. <laughs> it has always been so hard to separate our lives as parents and professionals, no matter what we do. And we've been living in a culture and a society where it feels like we've been asked to do that time and time again that that and we've not only been asked to do that but i hear you and it and i feel i physically feel like i just want to stand up and say no because we've not only been asked to do that but we've been at, we've, we've been made to feel guilty 
for all those little decisions we have to make about fusing together motherhood and our lives and our careers. And the truth is, when I think about my daughter, because I, you know, my role has been different, but I've, I've been an entrepreneur and had to like be gone for long periods of time and had to do things that don't look normal in terms of what my kids are included in. Well, at the end of the day, to me, what better way to show your daughter how to be a mother and a woman and a leader than to be authentically who you are and to involve her and to say, my life is all these things and none of them are perfect. And everyone does them differently and everyone's going to have opinions. I'm going to do for me and for us what we need to do as a family. And she'll grow up to learn your opening bit doesn't, that, that's your bit. That's not the world. Like she, kids will get that. They intuitively get what life looks like for us and how to navigate it. So, I mean, I'm say bravo. I think more of that needs to happen. Oh, thank you. I mean, I wasn't going to cry today, but... Uh, now hearing just even sweet words. <laughs> oh, you're too sweet. Oh. We're in a pandemic. The more tears, the better. Somewhat, you know, we let it all out. I like to be introduced as uh, on stage before a set. Like, oh, you've seen her crying a lot on Showtime because that's just. <laughs> uh, but there has to be and. Look, nobody's going to have the same opinion. And without that other opinion, I probably wouldn't have gotten to the place that I am. If we all thought the same, and this is, and this will go to, to bigger things as well, but if we all thought the same, if there weren't different opinions, if there weren't, you know, polarized opposites, then what would society be? I mean, we, everybody wants to be woke or everybody, or people are anti-woke or whatever these things are, they're... And, and this is where we are today in terms of comedy, in terms of freedom of speech. And I think in the larger part of society, we have only become so homogenous in who we are presented with, what we listen to, what we watch, what our opinions are. There's nobody challenging us. And if they do, we immediately go to the demonization. And that is fair. It's detrimental to the future of our society and in that and then in turn to the future of how we're governed and what our rights are and what we're allowed to do and what we're allowed to say. And and in a large part, I think I did get out of politics for a reason. I became a comic for a reason to be as free as I possibly can. And I think I've exercised that right. I think now uh, the problem is is we are be, we are under attack as comics. I think not only from cancel culture, but from the the inability to open comedy clubs so people can speak freely and be as different as they are, and and that conversation, whether it be sim, it's seemingly a one sided conversation, it's not. People are laughing, and you present something, even if that viewpoint may not be their own, they're laughing at something. So there is a conversation there, and I think. Comedy is the one of the last bastions of our freedoms that we we need to fight for. It is it is the purest form of exercising a right. And if we aren't able to open and and speak as we should, then we are we're in danger of of losing a lot more than just that. So, so tell us what is harder. Stand up or motherhood? At what time? 
or night. Uh, oh, that's a hard question. Parenting, mothering, because every single decision I make has an impact on someone else's future. There's more weight to that. Uh, if I screw up, if I can't find the funny, that's just on me. And yeah, it stinks for the audience, but their lives aren't changed. If I screw up as mom, then I screw up her and I don't want to do that. And, and I think it's also not just mothering, but parenting, co-parenting is harder because then it's two lives that are so used to being the way that they are and then coming together and then doing what is right for a child. That doesn't always happen. So I think creating a family and having a happy family is the hardest thing in the world. She's, she's uh, such a delight. Not every moment of every day. She did punch me in an open eyeball in a subway with like a pop knuckle that I do talk about on stage. Uh, I did not, I did not throw her outside of the train, but I, uh, <laughs> she's not perfect, but she is the sweetest thing I've ever, and she's the best thing I've ever made. So it is harder, but it is, it, there are more joys than there are hardships. If that's, if, if you know, there's a complexity to it that you don't understand unless you've done it. Yeah. Well, Christine, before we wrap this conversation up, we like to end any, every conversation we have asking you to share a little bit of, of uplift or wisdom, with a little bit of a, a feedback note for all the moms out there, be they comedians or just navigating this journey. Is there anything you'd like to say to them from your experience? I remember when I was 23 years old, and I was working for uh, a political action committee knocking doors. And I had a boyfriend and he had been addicted to drugs prior to that, found that out after the fact. Um, he's no longer with us because of the choices that he made. And I, I wanted children with him at that time so much. I just wanted children. And... Uh, and things did not work out. And I also remember in my life being alone on a train in, in Europe and being very alone and wishing that there were someone next to me, um, looking at that empty seat being like, Oh, that's that I need to fill that seat. And, and I was a poet before I was ever a comic. And I wrote my journal about how lonely I was. And then several years later, many years later, really, uh, when my daughter was born, I was in this postpartum and I went to a bodega to pick up a beer, just one, with my dog, who's a chihuahua, who didn't like to walk with me at that time, and my screaming infant. And I... I went to the bodega because I thought, oh, hit the beer, a beer will help me create more milk. And I couldn't decide on a beer. I walked into the bodega. I stared at the, these beers for about 10 minutes and she's wailing. And I felt the judgment. People walking into my dog is trying to pull to go pee on cans and my baby is screaming. And I, it took me 10 minutes. I picked one 
and I buy one beer and I take it up to the, the counter and the guy behind the counter goes, maybe she's hungry. Why I said it that way. That's how he said it. And I had the worst wretched thought in that moment about the guy and like who in his family could have been hungry. Uh, and I go, I know she's always hungry. And I fled out of the store, bought the beer, didn't crack it open right away. Wait until I get home. I'm not trash. But as I'm walking home and I'm feeling the dog pull and I'm feeling her scream and I'm feeling this weight of this life that I have created myself, I automatically, in an instant, remembered that I wanted it with that guy and I never got it. And it could have been with him. And I could have been in a trailer, <laughs> strung out on drugs with 17 children. And I also remembered the moment when I was on that train and I wanted to fill that seat and I never wanted to be alone again. We have our lives because we have them. They're supposed to teach us something. And in that moment when all I wanted to do was kind of be alone, I remembered that I never wanted to be alone. I never will be. And I thank God for it. Because if you, if you try to remember where you have been, you can understand where you are way better. And, uh, and that doesn't make it easier, but at least uh, it can give you some levity when you get there. It's really beautiful. Well, you are an inspiration. Tell us where we can find you, follow you. So someday we can, I can come see you on stage. But tell us where in this virtual world people might keep in touch. Okay. I am on Instagram at funny X T I N E. So funny Christine, but just with an X uh, on Twitter. I am funny Christine, the way that it is spelled F U N N Y C H R I S T I N E. I am Christine Meehan Berg on Facebook and I have a website, christinemeehan.com. Uh, I am always on stand up New York shows in any park at any given day uh, throughout the city. If you're in New York, um, my husband and I are contemplating a Canadian trip. And if you really want to watch me fat, you can check out Couples Therapy on Showtime. My album Bumped is available on all the things that you can uh, stream and get your your podcasts and albums and all that jazz so all those things amazing well i i feel as though we've had we we said we weren't gonna have tears and things but i feel like i want to read back to you what you wrote to leave this conversation because i think it's pretty amazing and thank you before i read this for your time and your what a joy it has been talking to you so this is in your article and you were talking about breastfeeding on stage and I just think it's so beautiful back to you. you wrote I had a job to do I had two jobs to do so I did them both like every mother has had to do at one point or another it wasn't this breastfeeding icon or badass female comic making a perfect I was just living standing up balancing on one foot with the other on the stool to give myself leverage you're amazing thank you so much Christine I will cry. Okay. <laughs> this podcast will be continuing the conversation and hanging out over on our app. 
We hope you'll come by to share your story and thoughts. And if you haven't already downloaded Pump Spotting, it's quick and easy to set up your profile and join the community. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our wonderful production team at Pitchwire, who partner with us to bring you these stories. We'll see you next time. And remember, you are capable, you are radiant, and you are not alone.